KBLA Talk 1580. It is my honor to introduce uh, an, an interview that I did on tape with the Reverend uh, James Lawson. Uh, James Lawson, as you know, being honored today in Los Angeles with the unveiling of Reverend James Lawson Mile on Adams. You're invited at 3 o'clock, 5th and Adams. Um, Reverend James Lawson is a minister. He, he's trained um, many an activist in nonviolent resistance, a former pastor at the Holman United Methodist Church, but he made a huge contribution to the civil rights movement. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said of uh, Reverend Lawson, He's been going to jail for struggling. He's been kicked out of Vanderbilt University for this struggling, but he's still going on fighting for the rights of his people. Uh, Reverend Lawson met King back in 1957. King actually urged Reverend Lawson to move to the South and begin teaching nonviolence uh, to folks in the movement. And he did that. He transferred to Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. He organized workshops uh, on nonviolence um, and taught people like Diane Nash, like Marion Barry, John Lewis, Bernard Lafayette, and others, um, and still continues to teach uh, to this day and be a mentor uh, to generations of activists. Uh, he organized um, sit-ins and uh, demonstrations, which eventually led to him being uh, expelled from Vanderbilt, uh, as, as King referred to in that speech. Um, Reverend Lawson um, has studied and, and, and gone on to become one of the world's most uh, foremost scholars in the the art of nonviolent resistance. Um, he traveled to India. He did missionary work there with the Methodist Church and studied uh, Gandhi's use of nonviolence and how it's used to achieve social and political change. He has uh, spent his life uh, in service, uh, in 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 uh, as a pastor and as a civil rights activist, trainer, and um, an architect, really, of the civil rights movement. Here, um, I talked to Reverend Lawson at the Holman United Methodist Church, um, and um, we had some technical difficulties that day with with me as the engineer. Uh, and so I will be introducing different segments and helping uh, us get through this uh, so that it becomes cohesive. At the beginning of the interview, I talked to him about his long trajectory as an activist at the age of 95 and still going strong. And uh, one of uh, the uh, things that I wanted to know is, you know, with all of the victories and all of the setbacks and uh, where we are today uh, with a rise of white supremacy, how, how does someone like Pastor uh, James Lawson stay optimistic? And here's what he had to say. The possibilities of change are very much there. And it's not just a possibility of change. Change has to happen. And we human beings have to do it because the USA experience is not what the USA say, says it is. <laughs> it's much more complex than that. 
and it has far more violence and terror, it has far more nightmare in it than what is admitted, that is admitted. I, um, any number of uh, political scientists in the 18th century used to describe the um, complexity of human race and the ways in which the human race have learned to steal from one another and to exert power um, and to control politics are not just that's that is not God's will for the human race. The human race, according to God's will, is to become more like God in love and creativity and in how you live your life. So I do not agree with the gloom people because I think they have a bad perspective, a poor perspective or a limited perspective. In addition to that, those of us who come out of a Jesus tradition know that Jesus of Nazareth in uh, the first 30 years maybe of, of the last century, um, not the last century, but the last uh, year, year, uh, uh, what's the word, year, year era of the human race um, set a model for what it is to be a human being uh, not so much in in what he didn't do but in what he did do <laughs> and uh, uh, so I think there is great hope the problem is that many black people who practice love, not hate, uh, maybe too much limited love, but they they have a, a we have a practice of love that stretches way back into slavery. And many black people are joining the uh, doom and gloom of the emergence of Donald, Donald Trump. And they do not make an adequate prognosis. I have been expecting Donald Trump. That is the ingathering of the spiritual forces of wickedness in the United States embodied in a person and in, the, in a movement to turn the human race backwards. I have been expecting that. Um, it did not happen in the 60s, both because of the power of the nonviolent movement of the USA. Now, you haven't heard anyone say that, you see, because historians don't say it. 
uh, and the recognition that the history of black song and black spirituality is a history about being alive by the grace of God and looking at what that requires of us today. <laughs> yeah, well... And, and a lot of that, a lot of that, enough of that is not going on in the black community. I, well, I wasn't planning to really go here yet, but since you said that, mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, one of the things that's come out of the Trump movement and has leaked into the reparation space is this um, divisive kind of um, outlook that we have um, not just to look at immigrants as competition or a threat as black people, Mm -hmm. but also even black people from other lands Mm -hmm. that are not black Americans. And, and I know that, you know, you, you have been very adamant that uh, unity and solidarity is, is what works. Yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, well, uh, too many of the immigrants who come into our country and are people of color um, do not recognize that the European, the European hold on the world and the human race is massively flawed and needs a whole lot of correction lest they lead the human race into committing suicide. Mm. And Martin King recognized this in his, in his own ministry. And by the way, I worked with Martin King and uh, uh, was, by his own word, the most significant practitioner and theorist of nonviolence. So I I taught him and SCLC board and FCLC staff. I was a member of SCLC. Um, And I traveled uh, very much across the South in uh, this beginning in 1958 until I left in 1974. And you're still influencing generations of leaders now from Los Angeles. I mean, I can't even name probably a black leader here in L.A. that hasn't at least in, in California been touched by your intellect. It's not just, oh, we, we worship Reverend Lawson, but understanding the strategies that mm-hmm. you're teaching. And when we come forward, uh, Reverend Lawson will go into what those strategies are. It's really the science of nonviolence, not just a, a feeling or, or, or a philosophy, but strategic uh, scientific application of nonviolence to create change. Um, sharing with you an interview with Reverend James Lawson that was recorded last day of 2023 as we honor him today in Los Angeles. I'm Dominique DePrima for KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580.
Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. Continuing my conversation with Reverend James Lawson, who uh, is an advisor and teacher to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the critical voices uh, of the civil rights movement and still doing the work. I asked him uh, about the strategies and science of nonviolence as a quest for justice, but also as a spiritual calling. Uh, is is uh, God's crowning uh, structure of 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 creation, and astronomy with our uh, telescopes way out in space can have not found any trace of life like we know it and that's that's puzzling to many scientists but I'm not so sure that it's puzzle Uh, my my simple answer is that there is a creative spirit in the universe in our galaxy that produced human life we don't want to call that energy god that's up to you <laughs> but we we did not make ourselves we didn't land on planet earth without massive help <laughs> and, and that represents for me a kind of eternity that should humble us make us aware the, that we have some responsibility to the unknown, if I could just use that language, to the unknown that put us here. Uh, Two years ago, astronomers around the world um, helped the USA in various kinds of collaborations to pull the Huddleston Telescope out of space and replace it with what has been called the Ware Telescope, NASA being the major agency and uh, and, uh, and major staff that worked all and worked in all that business of space and still is. And one of the things that astonished them again when they put the Webb Telescope a million miles into space um, is that working way out there with images of great telescopes and radios and whatnot, they could not find any even little milligram of life (laughs) like ours. And they, so that's that's a puzzle, and I uh, I'm going to this year get a book on the the images that the Ware uh, telescope has sent down now for two years because they are they do publish it, and uh, I, I've always liked to look at that and read it. But in in any case, whether we like it or not. Life as in Homo sapiens has no comparable life 
anywhere on Earth or anywhere in space in our galaxy. And that in itself is a mystery. But for me, the mystery is partially solved when I realized that, as Mahatma Gandhi said, that the force of creation is the greatest force available for the human race to use. We haven't done that very much, but creative force that created us and the universe is the force we ought to be using for our common lives. And many people do, because uh, most people in the United States do not run around hating people. They love their families and their neighbors and their good friends. Uh, we have too many guns, uh, and the reporting of those guns failed to indicate the extent to which having no gun is the best alternative. Hmm. Having no gun is the best alternative for the health of the United States. But could we go back to that? I mean, they're everywhere. Could we? 400 million of them, that last count. Yeah, no, th this shows the power of the notion in the Western world that violence allows you to dominate which is what is it? it um, do, uh, 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 violence is a force that is an abuse of God-given power. And so much of what the United States does is to undergird greed and to exploit the idea that violence is the way in which you manage and control life. Yeah. Very few people in America recognize that violence is a dominating force, a destructive force, a corrupting force. <laughs> it is the misuse of power. It's maybe generation after generation that we have this debate, right? Um, no, no, because the United States has never debated nonviolence. I'm, I'm even going to say activists. Really, uh, uh, nonviolence is not what many activists that I hear admit to or have studied. And yet, for you, the science and strategy of nonviolence in activism goes all the way back to your earliest days as an activist fourth grade, when I started in the fourth grade, after an encounter with my mother, um, I told her uh, th that uh, I would no longer fight with my fists and with anger, but I'd find another way. I, I, I heard you tell that story once about how, you know, a mm -hmm. kid called you uh yeah it called me racist names called you racist up names on yeah you, you smacked him yeah and your mom said what good did that do that's right and and you and you spent a lot of time answering that question and yes. figuring out finding another way yeah um and well there's two things about that starting with the mom part yeah. um and and your grandfather was also um a pastor right no my father your father was a pastor uh -huh. And your grandfather? Uh, I had... Um, Was I he an activist of some kind? Uh, I never knew any of my grandparents. Ah, okay. 
they had died by the time I was aware mm-hmm. of it. So, my so grandmother you, on my mother's side had not died; she lived to be a hundred and four. Wow. So that's where partially this ninety-five comes from. <laughs> yes, my great long-term genes. My great aunt Elise just made her transition at one hundred and seven. So Is that I, right? I'm hoping it runs in the family. You are. Well, <laughs> yeah. I didn't expect to be to be alive at this time. I thought I'd be dead before forty. Really? Oh yeah. I was in federal prison at yes. age twenty-one. <laughs> and. I mean, and and certainly, you know, a lot of your colleagues, I mean, you say, you said you were, you worked with Dr. Martin Luther King for 11 years, but it seems like that work has continued even after he's made his transition. So you you didn't think you'd make it past 40, but yet you're carrying on the work for a lot of your colleagues that that aren't here. Uh, Yes, that's that's true. How does that feel? Uh, Somewhat... uh, 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 that is somewhat um, perplexing and uh, uh, what's the other word foreboding, maybe? Because um, I do wonder why am I still alive? What's what am I supposed to be doing, living? <laughs> Just influencing <laughs> generations of activists and well, scholars. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, yes, I have have to admit that. Uh, uh, I have been led into a lot of the work I have done. Um, so, yes, that that's true. What I was going to ask you, you know, based on mm-hmm. your, your father being a pastor, is that I have the theory that a lot of the activists, especially African-American activists, come from families that were involved, were maybe not in the same organizations or in the same way, but uh, they're children of the movement in some kind of way. And when I, uh, when I heard you tell that story about your mom, I wondered if you might consider yourself that in, in some way. A, a children of what? A child of, 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 an, of a family that was already um, an activist family in their own way. All right. Remember now, from my, from my point of view... The slave did two things. My slave grandparents and I had. Uh, we can we can go back to a great great grandfather and grandmother, uh, who were slaves. Um, uh, I maintain that the slaves did two things to counterattack slavery. Number one. And this had some help from the nature of slavery and the times in which it operated. The white masters of, of the plantation system uh, demanded that the slave imported from Africa uh, sing. Uh, Frederick Douglass says that. And... So wherever they were, they sang in order to let the white overseers and the master's household hear them so that those slave owners uh, would know where the slave was on the plantation. Uh, 
So that's in part where uh, the, the uh, massive library of slave and black and Negro music comes from. That enormous library. I have one book which I keep on my desk at home still, and I've kept there for a long time, called Black Song. And in the back of that book, there are over 8,000 uh, titles of songs that our people sang and composed. Over 8,000 in the back of it. Wow. In the appendix. Over 8,000, wow. which this one musician of history who studied history, a black man, black man, did this for his PhD, studied the Negro spiritual and black song. The book is called Black Song. So, so you're taking the activism, the tradition of that all the way back to oh, yeah. the plantation. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I think, uh, I might be mistaken, but didn't you say that you had an ancestor who actually escaped from enslavement? Great-great-grandfather escaped from slavery. And others also because they became free men in Canada. You know, Lord Canada has a number of black folks still around, and they are descendants of the slaves who lived in freedom in Canada, fled in many different ways. Uh, and there's another group that fled into Mexico, which would have been Arkansas and Texas at the time. Continuing the conversation with Reverend James Lawson when we come forward after news traffic and sports exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominic DePrima when we come forward. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate meets a scholarly match. You are listening to a recorded interview recorded on uh, New Year's Eve with Reverend James Lawson on KBLA Talk 1580. So over this trajectory of your work, you know, which you say you didn't think was going to be going on quite so long, um, you, you've you seen a lot of triumphs. You know, you, you've seen a lot of, like, progress, um, but also some setbacks, as you, you know, as you point out the whole um, MAGA movement, which you say you were expecting. Yeah. But yet, um, I feel it seems like you, you neither rest on your laurels nor become discouraged by setbacks. So how do you frame it to yourself? Trump represents the many elements of spiritual wickedness that have been a part of U.S. history, whether we have recognized it or not. Um, I, we were about to try to answer that question earlier, try to do it quickly. The, the slave created poetry in music that said, among other things to them, I am no slave. I am a child of God. And therefore, out of that spirituality, black folk sang songs, created songs. Many of those songs 
were for the liberation of the heart, mind, and soul of slaves. And so that's why the Underground Railroad became such a powerful force for freedom. And uh, we black people have not yet really recovered the fact that the Underground Railroad took people into the Florida Evergreens, took black people into what is today Mexico, what, what was Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, and across the border, and then up north into Canada. But in some ways, the people who went into Canada was a smaller group than the people who went into Evergreens with the Seminoles or into Mexico, much larger numbers. Now, um, I mentioned that the UCLA building was dedicated to you. Um, at Holman, there's a, a building dedicated to you. Uh, my understanding is that we're going to have the Reverend Lawson Mile uh, here That's on Adams starting yeah, starting in, in uh, January. Week, yeah. yeah. Uh, so tell me about those those things. And in, 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 I mean, how does that? How do you? How do you process that? Well, uh, uh, number one, I I maintain that it is uh, is basically uh, a God's doing rather than mine, and uh, I I submit that. I I will say in each of those instances that uh, Dorothy uh, and I have had a kind of companionship engagement in the movement, um, and so that uh, I see that humbly, because I almost always acknowledge that my family that I began to meet in 58, my family, 1958, I began to see them. Um, is a, a large part of what I did. So I don't, I don't need therefore to boast of what has been done <laughs> or brag about it. It's lovely for us, though. Congratulations. It's lovely for us to have a Reverend Lawson Mile on Adams going by the uh, Holman <laughs> Church. You. I know uh, Council Member uh, Heather Hutt and others yes, have put right. that together. And, yes, and I mean, it's lovely for us. And so, yeah, you know, congratulations. Idea. And, I, and, I, and I hope it does help people to study the powers of love, which is what nonviolence is. Nonviolence is nothing more than saying that love has innate creative strengths and values. And to practice that is the way we learn to live. And that love is radical. Uh, it refuses to treat our enemies as they treat us. And we have, we have, we in the black community, we have 
put together a rather extraordinary witness of the way we live. Even now, 2023-24, we black folk have not decided we're going to hate people. <laughs> no, I hope we never do decide that. Yeah, well, we, we, yeah, but remember that, well, I, I, I like that hope. Um, there's too much killing of each other. So we haven't really come clean of violence. There's too much killing of others, which both reflects the United States and reflects some of the forms of blackness that we sometimes, that we uh, live. I guess that's the word. I feel like in prior conversations that I've had with you, the way you talk about nonviolence is not the way it's, portrayed and I guess that's because we don't study it enough that people feel like that means you have no teeth or you have there is no yeah. progress that it just means you, you have no self skipping you have, along. You don't you don't protect yourself right. and defend yourself. Right. Right. <laughs> that's one of the worst as though a gun, guns do not protect anybody. And this is terrible because it's so wrong and that it becomes evil. But uh the number one cause of death of people in the United States up to and through 18 is the gun. That's, that's atrocious. It's not, that doesn't prevail in any other part of the world. The number one cause of death, babies through the age 18 in the United States is the gun. And you don't hear anyone talking about it. Even when there's been a mass killing, they don't come back to talk about what we're talking, you know. They don't come back to talk about the power of love. They, they're only, the only public thought is, we have you in our prayers. Well, I'm not sure that pr those prayers are really prayer. I'm not, I'm not sure those are prayers. I have to say that. Jesus raised questions about the hypocrisy of prayer <laughs> and the hypocrisy of those of us who pray. Mm. So in the United States, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Well, I... Uh, if they're not prayers, what are they? A, a, a uh, culture hangover. Wow. U U.S. United States is the most violent culture known to human history. Well, speaking of violence and this rejection of a kind of binary philosophical, you know, framework, you know, the, the situation in Gaza mm -hmm. um, has certainly activated, you know, a lot of that, you know, either or. Um, yeah, too much. And the only response people should be having to Gaza and Israel is stop the hate Stop the killing. That's the only. That's the only. That's the only true, and beautiful, human expression in this hour. Not celebrating anything about it except to say, "Stop the hating. Stop the killing." You don't have the right to do that. There is no standard of the human 
of the Homo sapiens that said that Homo sapiens had the right to kill each other. They don't. What God creates, we have only the right to cultivate and exploit in terms of making people and life that is alive and human and just, that is also free of the junk that helps to mess up a lot of people. And then let's say we do stop the violence, which is a, you know, it's a mm-hmm. tall order there. We stop the violence. How do we find a way forward that doesn't uh, inculcate that violence into the structure of the society or into the, you know, into the way that we... Well, the courts, the courts of law, which they were one time very active in their hostility towards black people in this country. But putting a lot of the behavior that we have to have into law and settling manners, therefore, in the courtroom is a form of a nonviolent tactic. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Continuing this recorded conversation with Reverend Absolutely. James Lawson, I asked him, is, uh, is the courts a possible nonviolent solution in Gaza? Absolutely. Uh, I think I support the possibilities of two countries emerging. What Israel has done is wrong in many places, many elements. And the Arab said that was wrong. The Arab world said no to it in 1947. When the European countries decided to create an Israel as a form of reparations for the Holocaust of six million Jews. But but what what is not not often acknowledged in that it wasn't six million that Hitler and his leadership ordered to kill it was twenty six million because all kinds of people one of my one of my primary mentors in theology and Bible is Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was hung by Hitler on April the 8th, 1945. That's one of the dates I keep in my mind for my own understanding of my life. He was a Lutheran pastor. He refused to do Heil Hitler's. And uh, he was a scholar of the Bible. And uh, Hitler picked him up early because uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, from the beginning of the Nazi emergence, um, preached the gospel of Jesus as an alternative, as an option, and urged the Christian churches of Germany not to go with Hitler. Once again, the power of the church in in bringing people to peace, bringing people to justice, to love, 
Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but mm -hmm. I know that you're still very active with the SCLC, and this year uh, they will be rec they will be uh, unveiling a new award in your name, mm -hmm. uh, and the inaugural award will go to Mark and Avis Ridley Thomas. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Uh, yes, I, I. I, uh, when the award was announced, I told, I asked SCLC to do it a little differently. I would present it, but it would go to Marcus. I'd go to Mark and Avis rather than to me and Dorothy. So, because I, th I think the black community must, uh, insist that this federal warrant against Mark is nothing less than racism in the structures of America, which, is, which those structures that are racist have, all, have been there over 200, 300 years. They were formed by slavery and poli white politics. And it is that which we have to still demand, uh, dismantle completely. And this is where I'm somewhat anxious about we black people because too many black people in positions of some power do not use that power to dismantle the racism. I'm not sure how much our black elected officials take upon themselves to dismantle the racism and the sexism in my mind and the violence and plantation capitalism as well in their being an elected official. But the present order in the United States has to be replaced by the kinds of justice and community, beloved community, uh, and agency that comes out of uh, 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 politically comes out of we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all are created equal and that all are endowed with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think that preamble to the Declaration of Independence, uh, King quoted it, I quoted it in the 60s. We saw that as the political arm for making change. <laughs> it's a a theory that does come out of the Jewish Christian Bibles. It comes out of the best thought of the human race, the best poetry. So uh, today we in the black community must become far more active in using that preamble and using the 
philosophies that are a part of that preamble. Um, Donald Trump rep represents the tyranny that the Declaration of Independence was against. Mm. <laughs> That's the word Jefferson uses in the, the DOI. Uh, tyranny. Not just the autocracy of the king, but the tyranny of what political life can do. Trump has already promised to be a dictator on day one. So yeah, which means he'll be d dictator for four years. Yeah. But it sounds like you're saying that we, the black community, and, and conscious community, need to put our arms around the Ridley Thomases and not stand down. Number one, absolutely. Absolutely. He's been a marvelous elected official, one of the best, a excellent example of what an elected official ought to become in his own or her own right. Um, he used the office of supervisor and the office of city council to promote the well-being of black people and poor people. And I don't think anyone in the United States did it as well as he did it. But then Mark Ridley Thomas was an exceptional person in the sense that he was raised in the Baptist traditions. He had an uncle who was a pastor of the church in which he was birthed. And his grandmother was a matriarch of the race, of the human race. And so he had powerful influences upon his life from day one. And he sought to be a good scholar, which he remains, and pursued, pursued his college degree, his master's degree, and his PhD in Christian ethics uh, biblical Christian ethics in preparation for him to be a public official. Uh, he wanted from day one to be someone doing the job of helping to put together the beloved community. And um, when I moved here in 74, he was already a member of the board of SCLC, so already active there. And uh, we uh, found ourselves very much in relationship with each other. Um, and with Mark, a keen st student for nonviolent transformation of people and of institutions and of structures. In that sense, uh, he felt that my work was rather important. As it is. Hmm? As it is. So that's one of the things I like. A, I have appreciation of Mark that he deliberately got a post, a, a graduate and postgraduate work in order to be a public figure 
helping people against racism and sexism and violence uh, and e economic deprivation. Reverend Lawson, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Thank you so much for sitting with me. I guess what I'll, what I'll ask you to leave us with is, you know, of your work and, and the work of the civil rights movement. I know this is another big question, the work of Dr. King, but specifically your work. What is it that you wish we as black people understood better or emphasized more? We've had too long a period of time in which we have not had black people in nonviolent action. Because it is the campaign of nonviolence in the United States, 1953 to 1973, that began to move this nation away from its European past towards more access for democracy. And, and so we black people, in a time of guns and mass killings, we ought to be still discussing nonviolence in the name of Jesus. Jesus was a nonviolent athlete and savior and prophet and healer <laughs> and interpretation, interpreter of the law. He was absolutely nonviolent. Uh, using love instead of a club or a spear. So black America needs to make that a number one spirituality as the spirituality that most allows for we hold these truths to be self-evident. Reverend Lawson, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you.